Hello and welcome back to episode 2 of Kimobi Talks, a podcast where I talk about random things from politics, news, books and travel. The three things to be discussed later on in this podcast are all connected by one thing and I'll be revealing that at the end. We've got Malawi, a windmill in Cambridgeshire and how being scripted is seen as a negative thing. Let's get into it. Imagine living in a country where the president and the cabinet announce that foreign travel for them is banned. That's the reality for Malawi. President Chakwera has said in mid-November that foreign travel for him and his cabinet has been banned until March 2024. This is in bid to save public finances, although in part, I'm sure, is the political optics. Everyone remembers, for instance, the expenses scandal and how contentious political funding and politicians' expenses are. Malawi is a landlocked country to the east of Africa. It's bordered to the south and the east by Mozambique, to the north by Tanzania, and to the west by Zambia. A large part of its economy is based in services, so we're talking tourism, banking, hospitality, etc. Another large part, a third roughly, is in terms of agriculture, and in particular tobacco. The tobacco industry there is massive and growing, and the dependency on the tobacco industry is very large. Then you've got about 10% roughly of manufacturing. It is in the lower portion of developed countries and it has suffered for years in terms of its economy. In 2021, just over 14% of people in Malawi had access to electricity. 14%, which is really quite stark. In November 2023, the currency was devalued. This was an exchange for support from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. But what was done was huge. 44% the kwacha was devalued. The kwacha is the currency of Malawi. 44%, that's huge. So it loses almost half of its value overnight. To put this in perspective, to have one US dollar, you would need 1,700 kwacha. 1,700 which is unbelievable. So you have over 300,000 kwacha, which is under 200 pounds. That's a lot. One significant challenge that Malawi has faced was colonization. It was colonized by the British in 1891 as the British Central African Protectorate. That then was renamed as Nyasaland in 1907. It remained a British colony until 1953 when it became part of a Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasaland. It was still a British colony, but it was a protectorate, so it had a bit more autonomy. However, it wasn't until 1964 that it became independent, and it was led by someone called Hastings Banda. He was the Prime Minister, but two years later he became a dictator. In 1971, he declared himself President for life. It wasn't until 1994 that he was ousted in a democratic election. And in fact, since then, every single election cycle, 
there has been a peaceful transition of power, making Malawi one of the stronger democracies in Africa. And that's very positive. The challenge being the economy, however, inflation at 26.9%, which is massive. And it's really significant fuel shortages, food prices have shot up, and the cost of living has massively grown. And there's lots of industrial action. There's nurses, for instance, striking. They were offered a 10% increase in pay. However, clearly that doesn't match with the devaluation and the massive inflation that they're facing. And it wasn't just the devaluation in November 2023. There was also one a few months before that. One of the big recent challenges was Tropical Cyclone Freddy, which hit in February 2023. And this became the longest recorded tropical cyclone ever. It lasted a whopping 37 days. 37 days tropical cyclone. Now, it didn't just hit Malawi, it hit much of the east coast of Africa. We're talking about Mozambique, we're talking about Madagascar. It inflicted serious damage, both in terms of people's lives, but also destruction of property. Killed over 400 people and thousands of homes were destroyed. Malawi's second city, Blantyre, which is really its financial hub, that was hit pretty hard as well. Malawi's national grid was hit, causing even further damage. So, Malawi has really found challenge in recent years. I like to research about non-Western countries because I find them very interesting. In the sense that they're not talked about much, I bet most of you listening to this don't really give Malawi much thought. I bet you didn't know a thing about what is happening there. But such stories are happening in Malawi, in many other countries as well. There's a lot of disturbance, a lot of upheaval that people focusing only on Western news, don't really hear. And that's why I want to use this podcast partly as a way to raise stories that people may not have heard before and to point out areas of the globe where interesting things are happening. Interesting, however, being probably quite tragic or sad in this case. So, that's Malawi. And I'm going to move on now to something a bit closer to home. I'm going to talk a bit about Wiccan Windmill. The windmill was built in 1813, so Napoleon was still around. Napoleon was still gallivanting. It wasn't until two years later that he was defeated, but he was still around. So this windmill, picture this quiet little idyllic village of Wiccan. Wiccan is quite close to Ely, which is in Cambridgeshire, which is in the east of England. It's a very pretty place, Wiccan. Lots of very nice old buildings. There's a nice Methodist church. There's a nice village hall. You've got a medium-sized road going way through it, but it's surrounded by nice buildings. There's some... So I was walking from Wiccan Fen with my partner. We were walking along because we'd never been to Wiccan before and we wanted to see, you know, what's all this about? As we were walking, we noticed something flashing in the corner of our eye, something quite white and bright. We were confused at first, so we continued to walk and to explore. We walked a bit closer. We saw a sign on black lettering on a white background. The sign read, Windmill Open. 
with an arrow pointing to our right. We walked on, excited and a slight bit nervous. We looked to our right down a small drive and we saw it. A massive windmill. Now I'm not talking about a turbine, I'm not talking about something metal. I'm talking about original stone slash wood windmill. As I said, built 1813. So that is over 200 years ago. 211 years ago. That's mad. Really mad. So we had a look. We walked up the drive and the windmill sails were going round and round and round and round. Now, maybe you've seen loads of windmills before. I've seen windmills, but I've never really seen one moving. I've never really seen one working. So I was pretty amazed and I thought, ooh, let's have a little look at this. So I walked over with my partner and we saw someone tending to something outside. I wasn't really sure they were maybe sanding something. We walked over and they approached us and they said, how are you doing? And uh, we said, well, this looks pretty impressive. And he said, do you want to come in? And so we did. We went into a windmill, a working windmill. So this windmill, as I said, 1813, continued producing flour and therefore food all the way through the 19th century into the 20th century and into now. But in between then, there was disturbance. So it continued operating until World War One, then became disused, and then back in the 30s, it was reused again. However, after then, it really became disused and abandoned. And by the 1970s, it was completely abandoned. However, a partnership was formed. The Wiccan Windmill Partnership came along and saved the day. They reopened the windmill in 1987, and since then it's been in pretty much continuous use, bearing in mind the few days where there's not much wind. How fascinating. And that is the power of community spirit, community solidarity, coming together, rebuilding something that was previously a pillar and a physical reminder of the community. We got a brilliant tour by someone called Kelvin who took us round and even took us up to the top floor of the windmill. The steps were very, very thin. So imagine this, you've got steps which are, I don't know, the size of your palm walking up that. Kelvin explained to us that back in the 19th century, one of the people who operated the windmill was one-legged. And bear in mind, they'd have to be carrying up heavy equipment to the top. I... Yeah, and I, I was struggling, so, yeah. This windmill still produces flour, and Kelvin showed us the apparatus to make use of it. It involves putting in grain into a hopper, that hopper then goes down onto the grindstone, the grindstone is turned by the massive sails that go round and round, powered by the wind, powered by wind only, no electricity, no motors, unlike some other windmills in the country. Just pure wind. So if there's no wind, there's no grain to be flowered. And it has to be a certain amount of wind, Kelvin was explaining. Too little and the sails don't move enough to create any flower. Too much wind, however, is also a problem. And also then doesn't 
produce flower or need to be shut off, otherwise there's a risk of damage. Kelvin was explaining the complexity when it comes to the maintenance of the windmill. There are so many intricate parts to it, some of which are over a hundred years old. Like animals, UK crafts also have an endangered list. This is the red list of endangered crafts. One of them is mill writing, which is essentially about building and manufacturing buildings that use the wind or water for milling. It is classed as critically endangered. Do you want to have a guess how many professional millwrights there are in the UK? 11. All of the UK, there's 11 professional millwrights. There are volunteers, but they're amateur. They don't have the same skill, the same length of experience. We were taken up and taken to all the three floors and there was a lot in it. Everything though was perfectly designed and simple, really quite simple, but so effective. So for instance, Kelvin explained to us that when the hopper filled with grain gets below a certain point, it triggers a string which triggers a bell. And when that bell goes, they know they need to fill up that hopper again. And do you know why? It's because if the grindstone were to keep going with no new grain coming down, that flower could heat up, that flower could then ignite. And if that flower ignited, going round and round on the, on the grindstone with no extra grain coming on, well, then you've got a big problem on your hands. You've got potentially a fire ravaging an 1813 windmill. Likewise, he was explaining about how obviously at night time, some things go wrong and sometimes they need to be there. What they do, they kind of lock the sails so that they're not gonna turn overnight. Storms, for instance, that's a danger and things can change quite rapidly. Interestingly, and I didn't really think about this, why would I? He was explaining that because the village of Wiccan has developed since the time that the windmill was built, the wind going to the windmill has been lessened. And I mean, that's obvious, but I'd never given it much thought. The houses block some of the wind. So yeah, I thought it was brilliant. And you know what, as well, it is free. On the first weekend of every month, it's free to visit. Sometimes though it won't be turning because there won't be wind. We were very lucky to come on that day, no knowledge of it before, and on a fairly windy day so that we could see it in action. It's a brilliant place to go. You can buy your own flower there as well. We bought some nice flower, which will be a nice present. Pre will be a nice present. In addition, there's lots of history books about it in there. I didn't buy any, but maybe next time. But yeah, it's definitely somewhere I'd recommend visiting. It's a real hidden gem. It's not the kind of thing you would immediately jump to as a day out because it's not really publicized. Uh, we found out about it by physically walking places. And that brings me on to the next thing, walking. Much like how I like to surf the internet to find out about what's going on in places like Malawi or places like Ghana or the impact of the Iowa primary on the 15th of January in America. I like to search stuff up like that and that's a process of exploration. Walking is too, that's a different form of learning. Walking is a brilliant way to learn about things. Robert McFarlane, he writes lots about walking. He wrote a really interesting book I read called The Old Ways. In it he talks about how walking 
is a form of learning, much like sitting at a whiteboard is, or sitting behind a computer screen is, or repeating something and doing flashcards, something like that. Walking is exploration and is learning. Not only is it learning about yourself, you're learning about your limits, what you can do, what you can't, you're feeling it physically through your feet, but you're also discovering new things and you're thinking about stuff as you go. I love to walk and to listen. You hear so much stuff, you see so much stuff, from birds to people to animals and plants and fish and sky and so much more. Walking is a brilliant way to learn. I would never have found the Wiccan windmill without it. Likewise, going around Wiccan Fen, that's a process of walking. You walk from the muddy ground to the click-clack of the boardwalk to, to the gravelly stone near the, the kilns. You jump over puddles. All that time you're learning. You're learning about what's around you. You're taking in new sounds, new feelings, new scents. So yeah, it's brilliant. And this brings me on to the last thing. Scripting. So I received a very good question from a Mr. C. Sterling. He asked me, do you script your videos? Well, yes and no. Sometimes I do like to have notes. And for instance, in this one, I have notes about Malawi next to me because I wanted to get it right and I didn't want to get it wrong. But sometimes I just ad lib, like for instance, with the walking thing, it's based on stuff I know and like to talk about. And you get a better sense of flow when it's just coming from the heart. I remember one time before when I had an interview and I didn't prepare at all and I just spoke and I thought, yeah, I'm gonna get this because I gave my own view, unadulterated, unpracticed. I didn't get the job. It was something I didn't really want anyway, but it did teach me something, that there is still benefit and there is still some authenticity in scripting things. I find the word scripted very interesting. Scripted is never really used in a positive sense. Now everything really, you see, is scripted. TV shows, documentaries, films, etc. They've all got a script of some kind. You can't imagine Tom Holland going in and just randomly spouting off loads of knowledge with no direction. He's gonna have a script and there's teams that do it. Likewise with comedy shows, there's teams. Peep Show, for instance, all scripted. There are moments of improvisation and often it's the improvisation in scenes, in TV shows and films that are the crunch points. That's where the trivia, the IMDB goes crazy and they say, did you know that in this scene, Jez said this and it was improvised. We love improvisation. We love that feeling of spontaneity. That's also why I really like podcasts because they seem like a spontaneous thing. Whereas I would bet that most of the very successful ones do have some kind of script or at least a talking point list. I think humans quite like listening to things seeming natural. They like to hear things that are off the cuff. It's why people like live TV because you hear, for instance, politicians making gaffes. People remember 
Gordon Brown bigot gate because that was live, that was unadulterated, that was spontaneous. People don't like pre-prepared answers. And so you can see criticisms of, for instance, reality TV shows as scripted. I remember finding out that Top Gear is scripted. I remember finding out and being very disappointed that the foreign trips that they went on were scripted. I thought it was spontaneous. And it's a fine balance between making something really entertaining, having a close-knit script, and also trying to have that authenticity. And again, like podcasts, it's a kind of illusion. You want people to believe that you're just sitting there talking. One really interesting thing from history was Stanley Baldwin's fireside chats. He was the first major politician to make use of radio, and he was very successful at it. And do you know why? It's because, although it was scripted, he gave an ethos of spontaneity. He gave an ethos that he was sitting there by your fireplace talking to you. Talking to each individual person of Britain who had a radio, making them feel a lack of distance. Ramsay MacDonald, however, the Labour leader, he was less well received. People thought his was more staged, more planned, less real. And I think that this idea that real means spontaneous and staged means fake is something that's very interesting and is, as I say, something very ongoing. See, Stanley Baldwin, Ramsay MacDonald, they were around in the 1920s. So if conversations were happening about that back then, you know, you could imagine these conversations will be happening in a hundred years as well. I do like to script out what I do though, in some senses, because then I hit the talking points, I hit what I want to say. With this section, however, I'm ad-libbing in a way, but it's not gonna be that spontaneous necessarily because after I do this, I'm going to edit it. I'm gonna go into CapCut, which is what I use because I am basic, and edit it. I'm gonna crop out some of the ums and ahs, but I might leave in a few. And do you know why I might leave in a few? Because it makes me more relatable. Because when people talk, they say um and ah a lot. So I might leave one or two in, here or there. I might leave in a few mistakes that I make, because again, it makes me more human. And so there's that sense of scripted chaos. And I think that's fantastic. That's partly why I like the idea of podcasts, is playing with the little bit in people's brains, tricking them, thinking, is what I'm listening to really real? I said that the three topics were connected. Now, you may think that this will be a bit of a stretch, but it's actually wind. Obviously, we have wind powering, windmill, wind in the creative, positive sense. Then we have wind in the dangerous, fearsome sense with Tropical Cyclone Freddy. And lastly, come into the pejorative nature of being scripted. Some call that a load of hot air. So, I have been Moby, as I am every single day, and this has been Key Moby Talks, episode two. I hope you like this. If you liked it, do follow on, do tell people about it, because I had a good time. So, yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your day, and wherever you're listening from, whether you're listening from the bed, the car, the train, the toilet, I hope that you continue having a great time. See you all.